Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and hello. Welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic related topics and social issues. So today's topic is, is Muslim fashion anti-hijab or subhanAllah, is Muslim fashion anti-Islam is really what I, I want to say. And... It could kind of go either way, anti-hijab, anti-Islam, basically the true meaning, the essential meaning, or some of the meanings that are tied into hijab and Islam, and whether or not Muslim fashion goes against that. So there are obviously, I've, I've spoken about hijab, I think twice before or three times before in the podcast. Um, and as I probably always say, unfortunately, it does take up too much space in our, in our, um, discourse as Muslim Americans, but in part because we are American and we're trying to be Muslim in a anti-Islamic and increasingly anti-religious society, then anything that makes us stick out in particular is going to be a focus. So even though I'm always apologetic about speaking about this topic, I do realize why it is a focal point in our community as Muslim Americans. So there is a typical way that this conversation can go and and I don't discount that. But when I talk about, at least in this podcast, when I want what I'm talking about, um, if Muslim fashion is anti-Islam or anti-hijab, then I'm not particularly talking about what Muslim women wear. So even in talking about Muslim fashion, I'm in particular talking about Instagram models and YouTubers and all of that, that do the the hauls and the what I wear in a day and and review clothes and all of that. Um, obviously, there's a lot that could be said about what they wear, and we'll come back to that at the end. But I want to really talk more so about the entire movement. And inshallah ta'ala, we want to keep this relatively short, but I wanted to just briefly talk about this. And we'll, we'll talk about it in future episodes, but not specifically with hijab, but with sort of some larger issues that we're going to get into now. So first and foremost, when it comes to the Muslim fashion movement trend, again, of hijabi bloggers, YouTubers, Instagram models, one of the biggest issues that I see with this movement and trend when it comes to Islam and for us as Muslims is that it is very much in support of consumer culture. So fashion YouTubers in general and including hijabi um, YouTubers will often have what's called a haul. And hauls are when you buy, if you've never watched it on YouTube, a fashion YouTuber, they'll buy a bunch of clothes and they'll review all of the clothing. So this is, it obviously it's entertaining to watch because 
you're watching someone else spend money and buy clothes and try on clothes and that maybe from that you'll learn okay I like that maybe I'll look into that for myself or oh I don't like that that doesn't look so great on her probably won't look great on me something like that so I definitely um, there is an entertainment value there but simply in buying all of these clothing and you know sometimes you don't know if he if these youtubers are honest or not and I mean in general not specifically with Muslim youtubers but just in general but when I have watched them in the past and I still watch them on occasion then these youtubers do buy the clothing themselves now that's not all the time sometimes they're given clothing but often in hauls it seems on them that they're buying these clothes themselves and then trying it on um, for their audience and I think this in and of itself is entertaining as it is. It is problematic in that it supports consumer culture. And being a consumer, like there are so many layers to that and problems with that. So for one, in being consumers, the more we consume, because we're consuming from something we're consuming from the earth, the more we take, then the more that is taken away, the more that we are using. So you'll hear sometimes people say, oh, we have a population issue. And the reality is not that our population on the earth of human beings is too much. It's that there are too few people, particularly people in the West and even more specifically Americans, who are taking up, using up most of the resources. So to make a shirt, to make a, a pair of pants, to make a skirt, to us it doesn't mean anything because all we have to do is go to the store and buy it or even less than that, all we have to do is shop online and buy it. But that takes actual energy and work and resources to make that piece of clothing. And there was a beautiful TED Talk. It was on food and something that she said is, imagine if you had the choice if you were out in the wild a primitive person and you had the choice between having a um like some kind of meat dish for your meal or having an egg and you know if you're just thinking about it you probably would go either or but when you think about it in her example if you're in the wild you're probably more likely um, more, more, should I say, um, to more often go for the egg than for the meat because the meat takes more work. If you already have a chicken that you own, it's producing eggs. You can have an egg every morning or every day. Um, but if you actually have to go out and hunt for meat, that takes actual effort to hunt and kill, to remove the skin, to cook over the fire and serve whereas the egg does not. But for us, as Westerners, as modern people, all we do is go to the McDonald's or go to wherever and say, can I have a number one or a number two? It's not, it's not actual work. But that doesn't mean the work is eliminated. Every time we eat meat, a life was killed to eat that meat. Um, so it's when you think about the reality of it, which is hidden from us as modern people, we have to ask ourselves, 
whenever I'm buying something, whenever I'm consuming something purely out of non-necessity, then what am I contributing on earth? Am I taking more than I should be taking? And this is for everything, not particularly clothing. But if we use the same example for clothing, if we could imagine having to make ourselves a garment from scratch, literally from scratch, having to pick the cotton, having to do whatever the process is, I have no idea of making that cotton into actual fabric, having to cut the fabric, having to having to measure the fabric to our bodies and then having to sew it up and wear it, we probably wouldn't get wouldn't make ourselves a new outfit every single day. And yet the actual work of making clothing has not been removed. It still is actual work to make a garment, but we just don't see that work anymore. And this brings me to my next point, which is that often these hijabi YouTubers um, or Instagram models, they're promoting clothing and brands that are inexpensive. So to a lot of people, that's good. I even see people commenting sometimes that, oh, the clothes are too expensive when it comes to certain Muslim brands who, um, well, I'll leave the Muslim brands aside, but just in general, um, people will say that, oh, that's, that's too expensive. If something is over $40, $60, people say it's too expensive. But in general, they are promoting um, cheap clothing. So clothing from Primark, clothing from H&M, clothing from Zara. And when I say cheap, I don't just mean the price. Yes, the price is cheap relatively. It depends on, on what you're used to buying. So $20, $40, $60 can get you a shirt or a pair of pants. But we have to think about cheap, not just in terms of what you're actually paying for the clothing, but also in terms of what did it cost to produce it. So, and again, we're not, we're talking about cheap in very particular ways because some things are expensive. So we're using a lot of water to produce clothing, for example, and machinery and all of that. But when we're talking about, um, of course, the clothing when it gets to us, but also what the workers are being paid. The workers are being paid very poorly. And I highly suggest anyone watch the documentary, The True Cost. It's on Netflix and it's it's such an important documentary because it teaches us what is happening in this process of our clothing being made because again it takes work to make a uh, a piece of to make a garment that work didn't disappear through modernity it still takes work we just don't see it anymore just like we don't see the butcher most of us we don't see the butcher cutting our meat and handing us a chicken we just go to the store and get some packaged meat or at least in, in some halal stores, you know, the halal stores in my neighborhood, you will see the animal and then they cut it for you. But a lot of us are just getting this packaged meat. So we don't even realize the process that had to go into that meat arriving on our table. So we eat meat blissfully every single day, some people two, three times a day. And we don't think about the fact of how many chickens and and uh, cows and whatever else we're slaughtering for that meat. No, obviously there's nothing wrong with eating meat. Eating meat is perfectly halal. But we really have to think about the reality that, okay, if I owned a farm or if I had to go to the butcher every single day 
or the or not even the butcher if I had to go and hunt this meat every single day would I kill a chicken every single day just so I could have chicken there are so many Americans that don't aren't even interested in being aware of the process so many Americans that would not want to see a chicken being slaughtered or or a um a cow being slaughtered or a goat or um what else do we eat uh, or lamb being slaughtered. So many of us would not want the sight of that. And yet we eat meat every single day. So that's a huge disconnect. If you're not okay with a chicken a day being killed just for your enjoyment, how are you okay with eating it? It's the same thing. So when we, and it's even more complicated when we're talking about, um, and I suggest also the documentary food ink when it comes to food but it's even more complicated when we're talking about clothing because we're talking about people being paid very poorly and unfortunately some people will make the argument well that's the best job that they can get in their society a dollar a day goes much farther for them than that it would for us and while it's obviously true true that it takes less money for them to live a decent life they're still very often being paid even worse than, let's say they only need $5 a day to live. These people, these corporations will come and try to pay them $1 or $2 a day. And if you think they're happy about it, then I really suggest you watch a documentary like True Cost or do your research because a lot of these people have protested and they're hosed down the same way 50 years ago african-americans were hosed down or or um i don't remember the exact timeline but in the beginning when people were trying to create labor unions they were treated just as badly so these people these workers are trying to fight for better conditions for themselves but of course as usual the corporations are fighting against them so when we say you know when there are these videos or or um, hijabi bloggers or whoever who are saying, oh my God, this is, you know, what a great deal. I got this shirt for just $8 from Primark or H&M. We have to ask ourselves, what are we supporting? And in a very literal way, there was this devastating accident um, only a few years ago in Bangladesh. So these are fellow Muslims, more than likely majority Muslim country. And they were killed because the building collapsed because these corporations are going into these countries not only paying workers very poorly they're building these horrible structures they're working people as many hours as possible and so this building actually collapsed so when we're supporting an h&m because oh look i found this great model shirt or oh it's inexpensive what are we really supporting and is we can't imagine that that is islamic we can't imagine that's islamic we can't imagine that it is okay and I mean, really, we should think of such a literal example of our our brothers and sisters in faith being killed, being harmed by these abusive companies, and we're still shelling out money to these companies because they happen to put out a modest line. We need to be fighting on the forefront for them to have um, fair wages and, and proper um, structures to, to house their employees And that doesn't necessarily mean being out on the front line. I'm not the biggest proponent of protest because I think that the greatest protest you can do is just not spending your money with these people. And so 
that is unfortunately the downside of this entire hijabi fashion, Muslim fashion culture is that it is consumerist. And really, it's almost, in a sense, it can't not be consumerist because that's just the direction of fashion in general. So if you're going to be a YouTuber, Instagram or whatever, more than likely you're going to have to be a consumerist because people want to see you trying on new things and they want to um, see you talking about different brands and all of that. So you, I definitely understand the pressure there, but at the same time, for us as Muslims, we have to think about if we should be supporting these hijabi YouTubers. And then these hijabi YouTubers need to think about if they should be supporting companies that are abusive. We as Muslims never want to support abuse and especially when we know a lot of these corporations are setting up their their companies in poor Muslim countries. They're setting up in poor countries in general, but unfortunately there happen to be a lot of poor Muslim countries as well. Um, my next point is just that, and it's a small point, but I think it's important to bring up for myself and inshallah to all, inshallah, all of you, that we know the Prophet ﷺ towards the end of his life, that he had wealth, um, at least at his hands, that he could access because they were winning a lot of wars, more people were coming into Islam. But still, he chose the life of simplicity. We know that the Prophet ﷺ, he slept on a straw mat to the point that Omar came in one day and saw him and actually started to weep because of this condition that he saw the Prophet in Wasallam. And I don't have the hadith right in front of me. Maybe I'll find it before this is finished. But the Prophet Wasallam said something like, aren't you rejoiced that in this life, um, something like in the next life we'll have better than this, something like that, subhanAllah. Inshallah ta'ala, I'll find it before the um, end of the podcast. But I think it's important for us to realize that the Prophet ﷺ maintained a simple life even when wealth was at his hands. He didn't acquire um, more, a bigger house. He didn't acquire more clothing. He didn't acquire more horses or camels, rather. Um, he still chose a simple life. And I think that is important for us as Muslims to remember that consumerism is really not our way. Consumerism is really not our way. And there were other prophets who lived more lavishly, but that was not the way of the last and final prophet, wasallam. And... Sorry, I just want to see if I can find this. And I think that's important to note because... The Prophet ﷺ was the last and final messenger for everyone, for every human being. And in the direction that the world is going, if you're not a person of, whether we want to call it minimalism or zuhud or simplicity or whatever you want to call it, if you're not a person that doesn't take much more than their essentials, you are 
almost necessarily supporting abuse unless you just have a lot of money and you can buy really expensive clothing that are really well made and the workers are paid well I mean a lot of them even that will still be problematic with overconsumption but in general if you are a consumer you um subhanAllah if you're living a life that is lavish then you are almost necessarily supporting abuse if you're buying new clothing every week from the H&M and the Zara and the whatever other cheap store that gets their clothing made overseas you're more than likely supporting abuse even to go back to the meat example if we're eating meat every single day we're more than likely supporting abuse because in order for these companies to manufacture meat on such a high scale they have to stuff these chickens into these cages where they can hardly move in um during their life they have to stuff whoever the the cows all kinds of animals into small spaces so that they can have as many of them in there as possible and so these animals live miserable lives while they're alive and just because we are allowed to eat them doesn't give us permission to support their abuse while they are alive. So I just wanted to read this hadith, inshallah ta'ala, and then um, I think I just have one more point before we we close out, inshallah. So narrated Sayyidina Umar anhu. I went to the Prophet and saw that he was lying on a mat made of leaves of the date palm. And there was no bedding between him and the mat. And the texture of the mat had left deep marks on his body. And under his head was placed a leather pillow stuffed with the, stuffed with the bark of the date tree. On seeing it, I said, My master, pray to Allah the glorified and the exalted to grant prosperity to your followers. He has bestowed riches upon the people of Rome and Persia, even though they are not believers. The Prophet replied, O son of Khatab, do you also think like that? They are the people who have been deprived of the blessings of the hereafter, owing to their ungodly ways, and hence the comforts and hence the comforts Allah wanted to confer upon them have been granted to them in this world. In another version of the same tradition, it is said the Prophet replied, O Umar, do you not prefer that they took the joys of this world and we of the hereafter? Hajrat Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, may Allah be pleased with him, says that once the Prophet slept on a mat made of date palms, and when he woke up, the impressions of the mat were visible on his body. We said, O Allah's messenger, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. May we prepare a soft bedding for you. He said, I have got nothing to do with the world. I am in this world like a rider who halts in the shade of a tree for a short time. And after taking some rest, resumes his journey, leaving the tree behind. Peace and blessings be upon the messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we, this, is, this is our last messenger. This is who he was. And this is not to say it's made obligatory upon us to live as simply as he did. But this was our example. This is our example. So we still want to ask ourselves, how far are we away from his example? And again, 
in a more literal sense when you are supporting consumerism in general you are almost guaranteed to be supporting abuse and that is not a part of our faith at all um the next point i just want to make is that i definitely get that there is a need especially people who are new muslims people who are coming back to the faith people who are young muslims there is a possible need for this hijabi fashion I mean, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as hijabi fashion and we did have to figure it out on our own, right? So I definitely get that it's valuable to be able to see that, oh, you can be beautiful and wear hijab, you can be cool and wear hijab. Um, you know, all these people follow this hijabi and, and you know, they like her, so I'm going to be proud in my hijab or something like that. I can see that in the mind of a 15, 16, 17-year-old. And hopefully it's something that we're able to go and grow through and not something that we constantly want to maintain. Um, at least that's my position. And it's not to say that, oh, if you are um, more modest, you don't have other issues. Or if you're not interested or don't need validation from these hijabi youtubers and instagrammers that you don't have other things in your life that you need help and of course we all have some issue somewhere in in our practice of our dean and this is just one facet of it so i definitely understand that there may be a need for it and for some people i definitely also understand the benefit of it i think it is valuable to quote-unquote, normalize Islam in our society, that non-Muslims get to see that Islam is, um, this isn't the greatest way to put it, but that Islam can be, gosh, subhanAllah, I don't know how exactly to put it. I suppose acceptable? I don't, I'm not sure how to put it, but I think it's important that non-Muslims see that Islam is not a foreign thing. It's not like an Arab religion. It's not this foreign entity, but that it is a faith that anyone can enter and that you don't have to leave all of your culture behind. That, as I like to put it and sincerely believe, Islam is about refining us. It's not about changing who we are. It's about refining us or so the good characters that we have. And, and I like to look at the example of Abu Bakr, anhu, the good characters that we have, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uplifts and rewards. And any of our bad characteristics is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to refine away from us, wants to remove from us. So I think it is valuable for people to see that, oh, you can shop at an H&M or a Primark and get Islamic clothing, get modest clothing. But at the same time, I think it is more valuable for us to be leaders and say, you know what, these stores are, um, they are promoting, they have abusive practices. And we as Muslims, as people who stand up for the right and forbid the wrong, are not going to support them. We are going to take a stance against them. And so to me, that is a bigger more important principle than saying oh look you can find modest clothing at Primark or H&M or look you can put together this outfit and be modest that's great and maybe that's a level but I really think we need to be ethical leaders in our society and say 
you know what, there's a problem with overconsumption. There's a problem with supporting companies with abusive practices. There's a problem with being unaware of all this stuff that we have to tap back in and be able to say, you know what, <laughs> um, if I'm picking up a shirt that's not vintage, a perfectly new shirt for $10, that might actually be questionable. How does this company get to sell me a shirt for $10? Oh, it's made in Malaysia? Are they practicing safe working practices for their workers? Are they paying them livable wages in Malaysia? Do I want to support a company that does not do that? So I think we have to we have to be ethical leaders. And that to me is far more important than being um, fashionistas or, or fashion leaders. They both have their place, but inshallah ta'ala, um, we can start to have lar- larger conversations about consumption and consumerism and find ways that we can be leaders in that conversation through the example of our Prophet Sallallahu and through the ethical foundation that Islam gives us. Thank you for listening. Take care.